back out, make your way back over to the book that we're going to be kind of parking ourselves at in this lesson this morning, 1 Corinthians. Please go in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So many, so many churches, so many churches that we can read about in the Bible, in fact, Almost half of the New Testament was written to them. The books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians written to the church in Thessalonica that Paul planted on his second preaching journey. The books of Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians also written to churches that Paul planted on his second preaching journey. The book of Romans written to the church at Rome the book of Galatians, written to several churches in the region of Galatia. The book of Revelation, written to seven churches in Asia. And then the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, written to a church that has always stood out to me the most, and that is the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth, like the church at Thessalonica and the church at Philippi, the church at Corinth, was also planted by Paul on his second preaching journey. After beginning his journey in Antioch of Syria and then making his way through Cilicia and Galatia and Macedonia and even Athens, eventually Paul found himself, he found himself in Corinth. He found himself in an extremely wicked city a city filled with paganism and idolatry and sexual immorality, a city that history tells us was one of the most wicked and immoral cities in the ancient world, but there was a Jewish synagogue there. There were many people there who believed in the one true and living God, and Paul went in among them and he preached to them the word of God, and he baptized many of them in the church in Corinth. The church at Corinth came into existence. According to Acts chapter 18, Paul was actually able to plant a church in the wicked city of Corinth. And I want you to notice what Paul says to this church in the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse number 1, the book begins with these words as Paul writes to this church. It says, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Sophonies, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Notice how as Paul begins this letter, he begins it by identifying himself. He identifies himself as the inspired apostle the apostle who labored among them preaching the gospel. He calls them in verse 2, the church of God. That is equivalent to him calling them a church of Christ. He says they had been sanctified, set apart for holy purposes unto Jesus Christ. They were saints. They were people who had called on the name of the Lord. Clearly in this verse we see that this church, this church in Corinth was made up of disciples. 
These were Christians. These were people who were children of God. They were people of God. And yet, despite being people of God, as we continue reading this book, it doesn't take long before we realize that this church had a lot of problems. They, they had a lot of serious problems. They had so many problems that nearly every chapter in the book makes reference to them. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11, we see that this church had quarrels. They had quarrels. They had divisions, fusses, serious disagreements, even fights. There was fighting going on in this church. In fact, in verse number 12, we see that a lot of their fighting had to do with preachers. They were fighting over preachers. They were in competition over preachers, particularly the preachers who had baptized them. The reason why they were quarreling, fighting, and competing over preachers is because in chapter 3 we see that they were spiritually immature. They were spiritually weak. They were not growing properly in the Lord. In chapter 5 we learn that they were also tolerating sinful practices among them. They were actually remaining in fellowship with a brother who was in adultery with his father's wife. This is probably his stepmother. In chapter 6, we see that they were suing each other and dragging each other into the public courts of law. In chapter 7, we see that they had problems with issues like marriage and divorce and sexual intimacy. Those are issues that continue to be very controversial in a lot of churches today. When we look at chapters 8 through 10, we see that there was also confusion among them over eating meats that had been sacrificed to idols. In fact, some of these Christians were in danger of leaving the Lord altogether and going back into idolatry. They had problems with idolatry in this church. And then in chapter 11, as we saw this morning, they had problems with the Lord's Supper. That meal we just ate together, they had problems with that. They were perverting that. They had forgot the purpose of that. They had turned that into a feast or just a regular common meal. And then in chapters 12 through 14, we see they also had problems with their spiritual gifts. They were actually misusing their miraculous spiritual gifts and the worship assembly. Some of them were even in competition over the gifts. And then in chapter 15, we see that there was even confusion about the resurrection. Some of these Christians were even confused about the resurrection from the dead. They were denying the resurrection of the dead, and Paul says that the consequence of that was they were also denying the resurrection of Jesus. This church had a lot of problems, didn't it? They had a whole lot of problems. And let me just ask you, what would you have done if you were part of this church? What would you have done if you were part of the church in Corinth? I mean, if you were a member in the church in Corinth, would you do like so many Christians do in 21st century America and just leave this church? Would you just leave this church? Would you move your membership somewhere else? Would you try to get a few of your buddies and start another church on the other side of town? Would you just stay home with your family and say, well, hey, we're just going to do our own thing. I don't want anything to do with that church. I don't want anything to do with what they got going on over there. Would you say that kind of stuff? What would you do 
If you were part of the church in Corinth, can I give you four things that Paul would tell you to do? Can I give you four things that Paul would tell you to do? In the book of 1 Corinthians, I mean, since we've already been talking about the Corinthian church today, and since our goal here at Monta Vista is to make sure we're always following the pattern of the New Testament scriptures. If you don't mind this morning, can I give you four things? Four things that being a Christian in the troubled church in Corinth involved. First, let me submit that being a Christian in the troubled church in Corinth, it involved being guided by the right standard. It involved getting back to the right standard, getting back to being guided by inspired teaching, inspired teaching from Jesus. This was something that the Corinthians had gotten away from, and that is a big reason as to why they were having so many problems. This is a big reason as to why they had so much confusion over marriage and divorce and sexual intimacy. Go in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse number 10, as Paul deals with these issues in this chapter, he says, but to the married, he's talking to married people here, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and that the husband should not divorce his wife. Notice that language, but to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. That language there is elliptical language. Paul is using an ellipsis there. He's leaving out intentionally certain words to emphasize his message. He is saying that what he's about to tell them here, his solution to their problem, is not something that's just coming from him, but it also came from Jesus. Jesus addressed this issue in his earthly ministry. Jesus addressed this in Matthew 19, verse 6, when he says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That's what Paul means when he says that a wife should not leave her husband. That's what Paul means when he says that a wife or a husband should not leave his wife. Here, Paul is trying to get them to understand that if they just stuck with the teachings of Jesus, they wouldn't be confused about this issue. They wouldn't be all messed up on this issue if they just go back and consider what the Lord had already revealed about this. They were going to be just fine. They were going to be doing God's will. Paul is appealing to them to get back to being guided by the inspired teachings of Jesus. We find him doing this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 14 when talking about whether or not it's okay for preachers to be financially supported. And the preaching of the gospel, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 14, So also the Lord, the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Notice how Paul talks about the right that a preacher has to be supported in the work of the gospel. He tells them, I'm going to tell you what the Lord has already directed. The Lord directed that those who proclaim the gospel get their living from the gospel. Where did the Lord direct such a thing? Well, what about Luke chapter 10 and verse 7, where Jesus says the laborer is worthy of his wages? The Lord already addressed this issue, and Paul wanted them to know that if you want to know the truth about it, get back to studying the scriptures. Get back to considering what the Lord has already said in relation or in regard to their miraculous spiritual gifts. As Paul concludes 
his instructions about how they were to exercise those in a decently and orderly manner. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 37, Paul says, If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things I write to you, or the Lord's commandments, this stuff I'm giving you about how to exercise your gifts properly in the assembly, this is not stuff coming from my mind. This is not stuff that I, that, that I made up. This is my, not my opinion, Paul is saying. Paul says, I'm giving you the Lord's instructions. I'm giving you the Lord's commandments. You need to consider the Lord's commandments in regards to this. We go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 23. Remember we talked about how these Christians were abusing the Lord's Supper. We talked about that this morning. Well, notice what Paul says. He says, for I received from the Lord, that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same man which is betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The beginning of verse 23, for I've received from the Lord. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. What did Paul receive from the Lord? Well, here Paul is talking about receiving, receiving revelation from the Lord. The Lord revealed to Paul how Christians are to properly partake of the Lord's Supper. And if they were going to stop messing it all up and start doing it right, they needed to go back and consider that teaching. They needed to talk about that teaching, study that teaching. Most importantly, they needed to do that teaching. What I just want you to see is being a Christian in Corinth involved appealing to the inspired teachings of Jesus. It involved appealing to the inspired word of God. It involved teaching, appealing to teaching that Jesus revealed through his Holy Spirit to the apostles. Allow that to direct and guide everything you do as individuals and as a church. If they were going to be united, if they were going to overcome the quarrels and the spiritual immaturity, if they were going to properly deal with their immorality issues and their constant abuses of the Lord's Supper and their spiritual gifts, Paul says you got to get back to the scriptures. You got to get back to the inspired teachings. That's what it meant to be a Christian in Corinth 2,000 years ago. And my friends, that's also what it means to be a Christian today. That's also what it means to be a Christian in 21st century America in a religious society that could care less about the Bible and what it has to say. In a religious society where so many churches don't want to study the Bible and they don't want to read the Bible and they don't want to preach the Bible. And you really could just leave your Bible at home on the coffee table and not bring it with you to the meeting place in a world like that. God wants those who are truly his people to be different. He wants us to be different. He wants us to understand that if we're really going to please him in our worship and our work and our fellowship together, then we got to follow his standard. We got to follow the inspired teachings that the Lord revealed through his apostles. You see, Christians who drift away from the word of God, they don't please God. 
They may be good people, but they don't please God in any way, shape, or form. They may have a lot of money in the collection plate. They may have a lot of people on their, on their roll sheet or in their pews, but they're not pleasing God. They're not glorifying God like they should be. And so being a Christian in Corinth, it involved being guided by inspired teaching. That's the first thing we need to see. That's our foundation. But then we move on and we see that being a Christian in Corinth also involved being committed to staying together. Being committed to staying together even when problems and conflicts and disagreements pop up in the church. And so when you go in your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and look at verse number 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10, Paul says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I have a Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or what you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you would say that you were baptized in my name. Go to chapter 10, please. In chapter 10, in verse 23. In chapter 10, in verse 23, Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that, that of his neighbor. Look at chapter 13, the famous chapter about love. Chapter 13, verse 4. Chapter 13, verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, before we spend some time talking about what these verses are talking about, let's spend a few moments pointing out what they're not talking about. Let's spend a few moments talking about what these verses do not say. Notice how, as these brethren, and listen carefully, Notice how as these brethren experience problems and quarrels and fusses and even division, Paul doesn't tell them to break up. Paul doesn't tell them to split up as a church. He doesn't tell them to give up on their work. He doesn't tell a group of them to go and start another church on the other side of Corinth. Paul doesn't tell them to do any of that kind of stuff. Instead, you know what he tells them to do? He tells them to stick it out. Instead of running from each other, instead of breaking up, instead of splitting up, instead of dividing, dividing up their talent pool and their resources, Paul tells them to stick it out. He tells them to stay together. He tells them to work out their problems and strive for unity and love and consideration of each other's spiritual walks. And most importantly, put Jesus first. That's what Paul tells them to do. And let's just be honest about it. Doing that stuff is hard. For some Christians, doing that is very, very hard. While there are certainly times 
where Christians need to part ways from each other. Well, while there are times when Christians need to maybe move on from each other, especially when there's a number who feels that the group they're working with is deviating from the word of God, while there are times when some Christians may need to depart and move on, for some, they're willing to do that not because of some doctrinal matter. They're willing to do that just because they're not getting their way over something. They're mad because they're not getting their way about something. They're mad at somebody in the church. They're mad because they feel like somebody hurt their feelings or somebody didn't give them enough attention or because they want the church to offer some social things, some social recreational things for their kids and, and for the young couples and, and for the single people. Some people will even be like grasshoppers and hop from one church to one church to another because you know what they want to find? They want to find the perfect church. Oh, they want the perfect church. They want a church with no problems, no issues, no conflicts. They even want to find a church that has perfect people who will do everything their way and will never get on their nerves. That's what a lot of people want to find, and they fail to understand that that pursuit is futile. It is absolutely pointless. It is a dead end because, guess what? No church is perfect. No church is without flaws. Every church is made up of people like me and like you, people who got issues, people who have baggage. We have problems. We have different personalities. Every church has issues. Every church has problems. There's no church that is perfect. And so Paul wanted these Corinthians to understand that. When they started having problems, instead of telling them to run and bail and try to find greener grass on the other side, Paul told them, keep working together. Grow together. Get through your problems together. Strive for unity before your own personal preferences. Seek to edify instead of causing problems because you're mad you didn't get your way about something. Seek the good for the group instead of seeking quarrels and division. According to Paul, being a Christian in Corinth and being a Christian today means that we're going to have some problems from time to time. We're going to have some issues from time to time. We're going to have some disagreements on matters of judgment from time to time. But we got to always seek to be mature and work through those problems together. We got to always seek to be committed. We got to stay together. We got to put Jesus first and keep doing his work because his work is what is most important. It is bigger and better and more important than us getting our way about everything in the church. That's what being a Christian in Corinth meant. It meant being guided by inspired teaching. And it meant being committed to staying together. And let's just add to that by saying that being a Christian in Corinth meant being held accountable. Being held accountable. We often make this point from the pulpit, and there's a reason why. It's because the Bible makes a very big deal of this particular point. And so we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse number 1, in verse number 1, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 1, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles, that somebody has his father's wife. This is going on in the church. 
You have become arrogant and not have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. Like we did with our previous point, before discussing what these verses are talking about, let's first point out what they're not talking about. Let's talk about what they're not saying. Notice how when he came to this brother who was involved in sexual immorality with his father's wife, Paul doesn't tell these Christians, hey, just leave that guy alone. Don't mess with that guy. What that guy does in his personal life, that is none of your business. You leave that guy alone. Don't bother him. Don't worry about what he does in his personal life. Notice Paul doesn't say that, does he? Paul doesn't say that. Instead of saying that, what does he say? Well, he essentially says, you need to get up and start holding this brother accountable. What is the matter with you? You need to show some love for this brother. You need to discipline this brother. You need to start, stop sitting back and doing nothing. You need to start taking sin seriously. That's what Paul tells him. And he emphasized that in the chapter, the end of verse 2 again. Remove him from your midst. You see that? Verse 5, I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Verse 11, clean out the old leaven. Verse 9, don't associate with immoral people. Verse 11, he says, I'm really talking about don't associate with any so-called brother. Verse 13, remove. Remove the wicked man from amongst yourselves. Notice how Paul here is talking about discipline. He's talking about the same thing that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 18. Paul wants these disciples to get up and perform discipline on behalf of this brother and perform it now. Perform it immediately. Don't wait till tomorrow to do this. Paul wants it done right now. Paul wants these Christians to understand of their arrogance and their lack of spiritual mourning in regards to what this brother was doing was not only not showing any real love for this brother, but it also was bringing shame on the church. It was bringing shame to the Lord. It would even make the wicked and moral people of Corinth look down on them and be absolutely disgusted. According to Paul, being a Christian in Corinth and being a Christian today in any local church, it means that we should expect to be held accountable. It means that we should expect other Christians to get in our face and in our business and in our lives if I, Sean Jeffries, if I start veering off the path of righteousness, if I decide to cheat on my spouse or divorce my wife for unbiblical reasons, if I decide to make the sinful decision to shack up with my, with, my, with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend or behave in an ungodly fashion on social media or if I start going to be part of some denominational church or some community church or if I even become very spotty in my attendance to the worship services here. If I start doing that kind of stuff, Paul says, I don't need to be surprised 
when brethren here start trying to reach out to me. I don't need to be shocked when shepherds in this church call me and email me and even come by my house to confront me and see what's going on with me. I don't need to get mad when a shepherd invites me to go have a cup of coffee with them so we can talk about some sinful decisions that I've made in my life. All that stuff is appropriate. All that stuff is right. All that stuff is godly. In fact, if the shepherds here and if this congregation as a whole doesn't do that kind of stuff, whenever I find myself in sin, God's going to feel the same way about this church as he felt about the church in Corinth. He's going to be upset. He's going to be angry. He's going to be angry because he wants us to hold each other accountable. That's what the Bible says about it, and we got to buy into that. We got to buy into that 100%. If you're here this morning, listen carefully. If you're here this morning and you've sat down with the elders, you've sat down with the shepherds, the bishops, and you've been accepted into the fellowship of this church, you're a member of this church, if that describes you, you need to understand that that decision you made was a big deal. It was a very big deal. It means you're now part of a family. It means you're now part of a local church family. You're now part of a group of Christians who are going to be watching out for you and are going to be holding you accountable to righteous and godly behavior. You're now part of a church that's not going to just let you do whatever you want to do. You're not going to be able to slip through the cracks and fall away. No, if you decide to give the devil a foothold in your life, we are going to be in your face. We are going to be after you. We're going to be calling you, coming after you. If you don't like it, oh well. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that being part of a church means you're going to be held accountable. That's what it meant to be a Christian in Corinth. That's what it means to be a Christian today. But let me close with this. Fourth and finally, being a Christian in Corinth also meant being an active part of the body. An active part of the body. Will you go in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. In verse number 11 of chapter 12, the Bible says, Paul says, and he's talking in the context here about spiritual gifts, miraculous spiritual gifts in their case. And he says, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of that body Though there are many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the one spirit, for the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he has desired. Notice I hear Paul is saying to these Christians that if they were going to overcome the fusses and the problems and even the comp competing that they were doing over spiritual gifts, if they were going to overcome that stuff, then they were going to have to start understanding who they were. 
they were going to have to start understanding who they were before God. They were going to have to start understanding that they were a body. They were, they were a spiritual body. You see, just like the physical body is made up of various members, and all the members do not have the same function, but they're all important, just like it works that way with the physical body, well, that's the way it also works with the body of Christ. That's the way it also works with the church. Let me ask you something. Which part of your body, which part of your physical body would you be willing to part with this morning? Would you part with your ears this morning? Would you part with your toes, your fingers? Maybe you'd be willing to part with, with your pinky finger. Would you be willing to part with your pinky finger? I wouldn't. I don't want to give up even my pinky finger to you this morning. I don't want to give up any member of my body because every part of my body does something for me. Every part blesses me. Every part is needed, even my pinky finger, to make my body complete. That's the way it works when it comes to the physical body. And Paul says that's also how it works when it comes to the spiritual body. That's what it means to be a Christian in a local church. Paul says that being a Christian in Corinth and in any church means being part of a body. It means being connected to a body, working in a body, growing in a body, doing more than just sitting in a pew and listening to some songs and saying some prayers and taking the Lord's Supper and listening to a sermon. No, we got to fulfill our function in the body. We got to do our part in the body. Whatever talent or ability God has given us, we got to be good stewards of those things so that the rest of the body won't suffer. That's what Paul says in these verses. And so here's my question. Have you been doing that? We're at the end of the year right now. We're at the end of 2021. As you take some spiritual inventory, of your life this year, have you been doing your part in the body? Have you been serving in the body? Have you been building up the body? Have you been praying for the sick and the shut-ins in the body? Have you been checking on and trying to help the weak members in the body after services? Have you been venturing out? from talking with the same people you talk to every Sunday and trying to, to look to get to know and encourage some other members in the body? Are you opening your home to members in the body? Have you been doing what the elders have asked us to do this year? And that is try to check on at least three members of the body every single week. It doesn't matter if you are a hand or a foot or a toe or a pinky finger, are you serving in the body? Are you fulfilling your part in the body? Do you understand that being a Christian in Corinth and being a Christian today requires being an active part in the body? Do you understand that? What I just want you to see is this church in Corinth had a lot of problems. I mean, whenever we think we got problems sometimes, we just read 1 Corinthians. They had some serious, serious problems but they can still teach us a lot, can't they? They can still teach us a lot about what it means to be a Christian, even though we are a church at peace right now. And I want to be clear when I say that. 
even though we are a church at peace right now and we're doing wonderful work for God and we got wonderful shepherds and wonderful deacons, a study of the church in Corinth is still useful to us. It's still helpful for us. It still can help us avoid problems in the future and stay on the biblical pattern. In fact, not only does this book do a wonderful job telling us how to deal with problems that pop up, but it also does a wonderful job talking about the grace of God and what the grace of God can do for us. Remember, I told you that the people in Corinth lived in a very wicked city, all kinds of gross sexual immorality. And in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, Paul told these Christians in verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. You were like this, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Notice how even though these people had a rough past, had a lot of baggage, were involved in a lot of gross and moral things. When they came to Jesus, the blood of Jesus cleaned them up. The blood of Jesus made them the children of God. The book of 1 Corinthians does a wonderful job telling us about how big God's grace is. And the question is, do you need to receive it today? Do you need to receive it on God's terms today? If so, then what the Corinthians did to receive it, according to Acts 18, is what you need to do. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to repent of your sins. You need to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. If you will do those things, the Lord will add you to his universal body. And if we can help you with that, come to the